Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Patrell. So we're excited for today's guest. Uh, you know, this guest coming on was actually on our show previously, a third guest ever. Um, and someone who I got to coach with, had the honor of coaching with, um, and is over in Allenton High School right now and is doing great things there. You know, took over a program uh, with small numbers and has built the numbers up, has built the toughness of the team up. And it's fun, you know, following along in the paper and following along with several of the coaches that I know on the staff. So Matt is really building something special over there uh so without further ado and he's also the head softball coach we covered him this uh past spring as well so you know very very uh involved in the Arlington public school system and and in the high school and coaching you know both in the in the fall and the spring so uh without further ado uh the Arlington high school football coach Matt O'Laughlin hey thanks for having me Anthony I really appreciate it it's good to be back. Good, good to be back on. And it's nice to be talking to you during normal times, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, the last time we talked, it was like COVID. There was no season. What you were doing, you got the job. I mean, it was kind of wild. So to see what you've done now going into, you know, year three and what you've kind of built. I mean, you obviously COVID year, you were 0-5. And uh, that next following year, year two, you built the squad up to 5-5. Five and five, And this year, you've kicked off to a 1-0 record and, and decisive victory, which we'll talk about in a little little bit but uh yeah it's absolutely great to see what you're doing over there and obviously I had no doubt that you would and the type of coach you are and the type of person you are to to build the program that you're building so I just want to talk a little bit because you know you kind of really had like a, a full off season where the last couple of years you you know with COVID and everything else and the limitations that were going on you had a really good full off season and being involved in the weight room and having kids doing sevens and all sorts of stuff so talk a little bit about your off season going into it and maybe really kind of knowing the identity of your team and knowing what you needed to work on or what you needed to build on and, and truthfully what you knew you had coming into this fall. Yeah. Um, it was definitely different having a full, a full off season. I, I still, you know, every program's different. I still think of us uh, as the home of the three sport athlete. So, you know, we had kids kind of coming in, going throughout the lifting process and all that. So, you know, we had kids, I had a lineman do crew, which was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He told me he sunk a boat, which I thought, <laughs> but we had a lot of baseball players, a lot of multi-sport athletes um, on our team. So we got the kids in for as much as we could. We did a lot of Saturday workouts a um, couple nights during the week. And uh, it, it, it worked out pretty well. And like you said, it was like the first time that we really had an idea of, of kind of what we had coming back in. We knew we were going to be young, but we knew those young kids were working really hard. We could see them every day. We could see them in the building. Um, you know, as a teacher, like last year, we still went through waves where we might get, you know, hey, no, no weight room for a couple of weeks. We might be back in masks, stuff like that. But overall, we were seeing the kids on a regular basis. Um, which I think gave, gave us a familiarity with the kids, but it also gave them the familiarity with us and kind of what to expect from us as coaches. Cause as, as you know, like we're kind of different animals in the off season and, and everybody's friendly and we're everybody's buddy. And then once day one starts, it's like, Whoa. Um, yeah. well, they got, they got to see a little bit of that, uh, you know, with some more intense workouts in the off season, we had some joint practices, um, you know, joint, not practices, but joint workouts with, with other teams. And um, we could get together and, you know, had the kids running some stuff and, and they could kind of see where we wanted to go this season with the, with the game plan and who we thought was going to stand out and things like that. And, you know, when, when you, when you have kids early on practicing with, with each other, you know, whether it be on their own or with, with other people helping out, 
you, you start to see kind of the pecking order take place and you you see the kids who aren't <clears throat> necessarily like those, those first line kids, like, wait a second, I got, you know, I got four months. I want to take this kid's job. Um, so that was the first time I really got to see that where you get to see the con the off season competition and to see who's going to kind of go for it and, and how they're going to go for it. And, and, and in a lot of ways, it, it created leadership and, and, and the leadership piece, it was the very first thing I talked about in camp. It's something that I really feel has been uh, missing from all sports that I coach since COVID. And I think it's just because these kids missed a year. So they didn't, so, so your sophomores didn't get to learn from your juniors who didn't get to learn from your seniors, how to really lead a team. And we saw that for the first time really come back this off season where leaders really started to kind of present themselves and, um, and, and, you know, hopefully we reap the rewards of that all, all season. Yeah. I mean, you see it in the classroom too. I just like in, in education, you see it just the maturity aspect of things. So obviously it translates over to the field. So to see that leadership grow and that leadership build, as you know, and I know it's important in your program. I mean, having leadership and voices with the kids you know, off the field or in the weight room that the coaches aren't the ones that have to constantly reiterate or echo the sound of what you want them to do, that you have kids that are kind of taking hold of that, whether it's starting group chats or getting in touch with kids and getting there for workouts and all that. So no, absolutely. And you're starting to see that and it's starting to kind of help you build that program even more. And then numbers go up because people want to be around those people. They're infectious and so on and so forth. I mean, for you and obviously in building what you've done, you mentioned like joint workouts in the offseason which I think is great. And I think you're seeing that more at the high school level, that teams are kind of working together. And I think before it was a numbers thing, like maybe your numbers were low and somebody else's numbers were low. So being able to kind of go work with other ones and other kids that are competitive at other schools, it kind of lets you see, you know, again, that leadership, that competitiveness of your team kind of against other teams and so on. But you do that in your training camp too. I know you guys always kick off with a try scrimmage with Arlington Catholic and Lawrence High School. And I know that you do a couple joint practice with them. Talk about the effect that that has on your program. Cause I think that's great joint practices, being able to do drills and have competitive drills and really simulate that game atmosphere as much as you can ones versus ones. I mean, talk about how that's helped you in your program. Cause you've been doing that the last few years. Well, I stole it from you. Remember, yeah. we, it was an accident. We went, we were supposed to scrimmage Triton or something and Malden was there and it was like, all right, let's make it happen. Yeah. And we all left that day. I remember being like, that was kind of awesome. So I just, I just always kept it going and, and I've kept ties with AC where, you know, I coached with you. So yeah, we have a good relationship with AC. So we probably we'll, we'll, we'll work with them all summer. Um, but then we bring in Lawrence because Coach Deja on my staff is is really close friends with the head coach Randy over at uh, over at Lawrence, and the three of us the past two years have gotten together at you know down at the pit at it was which is what they call the AC practice field, <clears throat> and we just do a three way ten play scrimmage um, back and forth, and it's great. <clears throat> I mean Lawrence, I don't know if you've ever got to see him play. They run a, a wacky wacky offense, and I don't mean that in a in a disparaging way at all. It's just. It's wing based, but I mean, like they have base plays that are full on reverses in the backfield, and like that's how they run their offense. So, it it's great to to teach the kids, hey, you read your keys, stay home, and then you go up against AC, and they're running full air raid, so you get to see both. And then defensively, AC is a three stack, while Lawrence looks a lot like us defensively, which is kind of like a a disguised three four kind of, you know what I mean? So you get to see so many different things, um, but at the same time. You're, you're doing it all in a condensed a condensed period of time, which which makes it work really well. And then we were able to sneak up to Lawrence to have a, uh, a just a, you know, a practice, no refs or anything like that. So we did a joint practice up there, which was, again, absolutely great. We did situational football. We had we got the the twos some work with their twos, things like that. So 
it's it, it. I like getting those in, and I wouldn't call them scrimmages. Uh, I would call them joint practices, game type situations. I really do think over the past few years it's helped us uh, help us get ready. And for anybody watching, please go up and play Lawrence. He's looking for people to get come up and see him. It's a great field. It's a great program. It's in a nice area of the city. Go go to Lawrence. Have fun. Yeah, their facility. I, I remember seeing a picture of their field and being like, "Holy mo!" I mean, that's like a college like field. I mean, it's unbelievable. It remind it reminds me of the Manning Bowl. Except yeah. a little, except a little newer, a little smaller, a little newer, but it's, it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. They couldn't even get a week one opponent. They couldn't get anybody to come up. So, yeah, it's mind blowing. Anybody, anybody watching, go to Lawrence. They're a great guy, great program. Yeah, Randy was great. I mean, we did that that first year, and he was so nice. Like I felt like I knew him forever. You know, just talking to him for ten minutes on the field, and you know, talking about what we were going to do and how we were going to do this. And yeah, super guy, man. I I, I will second that for sure. Um, Obviously, you know, I, I mentioned at the top a little bit, taking over a program and kind of creating an identity for that program. I think a lot of people don't realize the difficulty and especially where you you took over from Rob DiLoretto, who I think started building that. Right. I mean, Rob's a great coach. He's over at Everett now. Um, class act all around. Um, but coming in and, and changing a philosophy or kind of building your philosophy. And you did it when it was like a worldwide pandemic. And I mentioned, you know, that first year COVID, you struggle. You really didn't have practice. Really didn't have an off season. You really didn't know your team. And then year two, you saw that five hundred, that five and five mark, with maybe playing even better towards the end of the season. And then you came out right out the gate, you know, this past weekend, and you you won thirty six nothing pretty decisively. So, what have you learned about yourself as a coach now over these last three seasons? And I'll call it three seasons, even though it's not complete. What have you kind of learned about yourself as a head coach to maybe? that you didn't know when you first kind of jumped into it a few years back? Uh, a lot. I mean, a lot. I And I feel, I almost wish I could go back in time and coach the 0-5 kids. You know what I mean? I think we all feel like that as coaches. I think a lot of times, like, I, I, I mean, on the softball side, I've been doing it for a long time. I know if I had not my best year, you know what I mean? But my level is pretty much the same. I, I, I kind of know where I'm at with with football and and taking over as a head coach and not not a coordinator not a not a positional coach. Um, I feel like my learning process was it, it took a little bit more for me to get used to. I had to do like a real deep dive on both sides of the ball. So my my first the first year it was a struggle. <clears throat> it was a struggle trying to trying to figure out where I was going to fit in because I knew I didn't want to be on one side of the ball, but at the same time I knew I wanted to change. Rob DiLoretto, I have more respect for that man than than, than most people, uh, you know, in, in the game of football. But that was a very offensive-based team. They scored quickly. They ran, you know, a four-four cover three, which I, I love. I, you know, I, it's it's everybody's fallback, right? Four-four yeah. cover three. But it was all about can we outscore the team? And and the kids that did that weren't coming back, so we had to tighten up defensively. I don't that first year, I don't think I paid enough attention to the offensive side. We couldn't score. Like we just, we just couldn't, we couldn't move the ball. And that was on me. Um, and then going into year two, I didn't, uh, Nick Deja took over the offense. And I mean, that man is a football encyclopedia. Right. <laughs> I just let him run with it, but I, I really took a step back and I didn't give myself any positions just so I could dive in and make sure that I understood how everything ticked, which is something I think I watched you do year two as well. You know what I mean? I think, I, I just think it made a big difference. And now this year, because now I feel like I know the offense, I can help out a little bit more on the defensive side. I have a great defensive coordinator in Mark Regan, um, but we build these plans together because I'm more of a defensive guy. But now at least I, I know 
more of what my offensive coordinator is thinking, especially, I mean, a lot of people don't know Nick Deja, but he's, uh, he's essentially, he's, 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 he's in surgery. Like tomorrow he he'll be late to practice because he's going to be doing surgeries. On I mean, YouTube. yeah, Nick is the, one of the most impressive human beings maybe I'll ever come across in my entire life. Truthfully. So, yeah. So there's times where he's not there in the first quarter and, you know, I, I, I can call the offense, but I need to try to call it in a way that when he takes over, it doesn't look like a completely different offense. And it took me a year of kind of adjusting to that to do it. And then I'll be honest, this summer, I really dove back in on the defensive side just because I wanted to, you know, see, see some new things that were out there and, and try out, um, you know, try to bring some of the NFL and the college game back to the high school game. And again, I mean, I use, I use Tasha as a resource. The guy is an absolute encyclopedia. So he, he sends ideas. We, we, we look at it then, you know, coach, coach Regan, myself, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll start coming up with plans, but, um, but De- Deja, I, I think he, I think he just sleeps, eats, is a doctor and then uh, just watches. Yeah. And binges on watches film. Kirby, yeah. Kirby Smart and Nick Saban clinics just nonstop. And works out too. Like he just kind of has, he doesn't sleep and it, it's crazy. And I know you were kind of like your first year and I'm not sure if you're still doing this. I know you were looking at a lot of like Georgia stuff, like Kirby Smart stuff against the spread and so on. Do you feel like you're defensively kind of, you know, simple fly up? Or do you feel like you kind of look for that like new you know, everyone runs spread or a lot of teams you probably face run spread. Do you feel like you're kind of looking for that new innovative defense that is a little bit different that maybe high schools haven't seen, or do you kind of base that off your personnel more? So I, the, the, the two years prior based off personnel and I, I learned my lesson last year, unfortunately, we, we decided to go four, three. And obviously what you need for a four, three, or at least in my opinion, what you need is kind of a stud middle linebacker, which we had um, week three of the season, he goes down for the season. So now you're a four, three, what, what do you do? You're a four, right. three without that kid. Um, so I learned my lesson from that. So, so we switched back over to actually more of the Kirby smart style, which is that disguise three, four with the overhang, we call it a Jack um, who can be kind of a play in space guy, but usually he's more of a back to quarterback type of guy. Um, the, what we tweaked this year were more of the coverages. So we feel like what we have out of our, our three, four is, is uh, we can match that front to almost anything. Our, I mean, we Medford our first week was a, was a pretty much a straight up double wing team with with some formations off a of double wing, and we stayed in that. We just have have little adjustments. So I mean, you know, you know how it works. Like that, that three four up front starts looking like a five two, but can we hold our coverages behind it so it's not just this basic cover three or quarter right, right. like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's the thing with spread. And I think you said it maybe the last time you were on here, it's, you know, the spread game has revolutionized so much RPOs and everything else has kind of changed the way defenses can maybe widen out their linebackers versus kind of taking on the run and pinching them in. So defensively, you got to evolve too. And you got to look at it and saying, okay, what can we throw out there? Just a disguise, just a look. Sometimes I know when we coached together against Arlington, they had a lot of trouble with offense that scored a ton because we were just throwing different looks at them. We were standing guys up, putting guys down, bringing safeties up. And I remember talking to those coaches after the game and, you know, they were like, we didn't know what coverage you were in half the time. And our quarterback had a difficult time reading things. So just sometimes the way you can kind of go out there and just show it, whether it's window dressing or just, you know, giving a, giving a different look. And then at the snap, you know, guys are bailing or guys are coming up and, you know, zone looks like man and man looks like zone and so on. 
and you got to be doing something right because you mentioned it, but you know, your opening game against Mefford, you guys won 36, nothing. I mean, and that's a victory on both sides of the football. I mean, offensively, it's scoring a lot of points defensively, really shutting down what an opponent wants to do. And um, I'm just going to kind of read some stats off here of a couple kids that, um, you know, you had, and I say, they say, say the names, Ryan, please correct me. Uh, is Darian Sherry. Yep. All right, Darian Cherry had nine tackles, three that were sacks, uh, and Caden Mills, who I've heard a lot about from you over the last few years, but 205 all-purpose yards. I think he had like a buck 20 rushing with nine carries, but three total touchdowns. So, you know, you had two guys on both sides of the football that, you know, kind of dominated in their own right. But talk about that. I mean, winning opening day is it's huge for your program. It's huge for your motivation. It's all the work you put in the off season, all the work you put in in training camp and you come out and you win pretty big like that. So, you know, talk about how that felt for you and then maybe some individual performances of players that I maybe mentioned or other kids that I left off that you feel like really kind of just went out there and balled out. Yeah. I mean, you know how, you know how nervous you get right before opening day, you start checking boxes in your head and thinking of things you forgot. Um, But the kids, the kids came out and played great. It was a perfect coaches game because we left a lot on the field. Uh, we had a lot of penalties. We had, you know, some tough time snapping. So we moved the ball backwards. The kid Caden Mills went, went off. And actually I, I don't, I'm not positive. I think he had two touchdowns called back on top of what he had other than that. Like, so we, we, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot a couple of times, but came away with a decisive victory. So again, it's a coach's dream because I get to pick the kids apart a little bit and we got what we wanted out of it. Um, but yeah, so Caden Mills is our, our running back. He's actually a junior captain. Um, he's, he's a kid with, with high football aspirations, looking, you know, looking to play at, you know, as high as he can at the next level. Um, and he's a, he's a ferocious running back. He's an incredible defensive player too. Uh, we have him at strong safety. You know, he might move a little. He might move around a little bit for us this year. But he's a big, strong kid. He can run. I mean, he's 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 a legit runner. Um, then we got the Darian Cherry. He, he's uh, he's he's a lineman who who flourished and bloomed a little bit later. Right after it was, you know, we didn't really discover him until. Yeah, true story. Uh, and it kills me because this kid, I love this kid, but it was right before. Thanksgiving, uh, the last practice, last padded practice before Thanksgiving. And Darian, as a freshman, ran down and took on a block from like one of our toughest seniors and actually broke his collarbone. And it was like, Darian, where? I mean, we felt awful for the kid after we got, to, we got that kid settled. We're like, Darian, where was that for the past like four months? What, you know, what's going on? And he came out the next year and he was just a different breed. He's, he's like a 175, 180 pound kid that we put anywhere on the D line and he can, he can stand toe to toe with anybody. He usually beats him with speed. We'll use him and match up uh, wherever we think, you know, he'll work best. So typically we play him at end, but like last week he just had a nose for us. Um, so he's, he's, he's a special kid and then we got a senior quarterback returning um league all-star and, and captain and jake shiano he i mean we didn't pass much but i think he was seven for nine with two touchdowns and those two touchdowns were to another junior uh jacob kerbel who had you know three catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns so it was it was a pretty good day on the offensive side and defensively our, our defensive line pretty much just ate it was it was most of mo- most of that was yeah. the defensive line lived in the backfield and then you know it makes the game easier now, do you feel like when you look at that game film, I'm just curious, and maybe maybe you'll say both sides of the ball, but was there a surprise on one side of the ball more than other where you felt like, wow, we were better than I thought we were going to be here? Or whether that's both front lines, offensive line, a defensive line, or at your skill positions. I mean, was there a position or a side of the ball that maybe really stood out more than than you thought? We had a lot of success offensively last year and, and, you know, we lost some key pieces. Um, one, one kid who was a 
June, he'd be a senior this year, actually left for Allen, Texas. Um, so we knew we were an explosive offense. We, we knew we had to fill some gaps and fill some holes, but we, we, we were pretty sure we we're going to be able to score. We're a very young offensive line. I thought besides the penalties, I know that's a lot to say, but besides the penalties and, and some tricky snaps, I thought they played pretty well. Um, and then on the defensive side, it was nice to see a plan kind of, kind of take hold. We started seeing that towards the end of the season last year where things started kind of coming together, even though it wasn't the same defense, but you know how it is. Once these kids get confidence, it kind of, everything changes. Um, and that's, you know, that's the way it is. It, it, even up to the NFL, like teams can be struggling for a while and all of a sudden they figure out how to win. And now, now they're winners. Now they just want it. Now they know how to win. Now they know how to put teams away. Um, so that was kind of the test for us is to see how our young players did that. And our young players are really up front on both sides. So overall, they didn't let the moment get too big and, and, you know, they, they, they played, they played pretty well. We're going to need to be a little, a little better this week against Hingham. Uh, we've, I've told them that, you know, so the expectation keeps going up, but that's football, you know, you, you have a great win and you get to celebrate it for two days and then you come in Monday and it's like, all right, on to the next one. So talk about that, because I was just going to kind of ask you, I mean, you win a big game like that. Obviously, you guys are excited. Good bus ride home. You know, maybe Saturday going over film. Kids are excited. But as a coach, how do you kind of get them to move on from that win, that excitement now to face an opponent like Hingham? I mean, even the name Hingham is just it's tough, right? (laughs) Like it's a tough name. You know, you're facing a tough team. But like, how do you get them to kind of move on now? They'll be like, all right, we took care of business. We're starting to build that winning culture. Uh, We know we can stop teams. We know we can score on the offensive side of the ball. How do you now kind of say, okay, we're on to the next and this is what we need to be this week? So for us, uh, for those who know the Arlington High School area, it is under massive construction. So we actually have no field access on Mondays. So they get just that night to be happy. And on Saturday, we're on to the next one. We yeah. go like, like we, we went over the film from the day before, but the focus is pretty much going forward because we need that day. They're not in pads or anything like that, but that's a film study getting ready for the next day. So our kids were locked in, you know, they, they were very happy with themselves as they should have been, but Saturday, 830 in the morning, we had them watching film. They're asking questions. All right, how do we beat the next opponent? It, it, what, what they've done a great job of understanding is that football is the pursuit of perfection. So even if you have a 10 yard play, your coach is going to say, why didn't we get 15? And you just have to accept that and, and, and realize that your coaches are trying to get you to expect more out of yourselves. And once you do, the sky's the limit. Um, and, and this group, this team, this team is, is starting to get it. You know, we're going to have a huge, huge challenge this week. And once we hit our league schedule, it's going to be big. We'll have ups and downs. We know that, but how do we respond to that? That that's the big question. And that is why I know it sounds preachy, but that's why I think this sport just breeds strong, good young men. I think if you coach it the right way and teach it the right way, and you have a good mix of kids, I think this sport gives life lessons like no other. Yeah. I mean, and it can be despite whatever your record is, you know, the fact that they're buying in, like you said, Saturday mornings, waking up, maybe physically sore, bruised up, dinged up, coming in, knowing that, you know, they have another week of that ahead and you being tough on them or you showing them tough love or you showing them compassion, like to balance that as a coach. And then obviously for a kid to buy into that, no matter what the record is or no matter what the situation is, like you said, it's a, it's a true test of character and a true built of character. So I'm with you on that. Um, so you open up against Matt, you got Hingham. We're going to be covering you in a couple of weeks playing Brookline. 
off uh, a non-league schedule. I mean, how'd you go about, you know, obviously you start off three games, you guys play in one of the tougher conferences in the state, in my opinion. So facing a team like Hingham coming up and facing a team like Brookline, I'm just curious as a coach, you know, how do you go about booking those games and how do you say like, okay, this is going to be a good team or a good matchup before we get into league play. Obviously playoffs is probably in mind too, like teams you could potentially see and so on. So how do you kind of go about maybe building that schedule um, as the season goes on? So I'll be honest, building a football schedule is very tough and it was made tougher over the past couple of years because people can say they fully understood the whole uh, playoff structure and, and seating and how that was going to go, but none of us really had a firm grasp on it. So um, being an old school Arlington guy who played in the GBL, my first thing was like, all right, let's try to get some GBL opponents back. So I was looking to the Medford, Somerville's, Malden's, teams like that um, to try to play. GBL is tough. It's a tough schedule to crack because of when their, their off days are. But after last year, Medford was able to, their week one was open. So we had agreed that we would play week one. Um, we played Hingham last year, just grabbed them off of MIAA, had no idea how they were going to be. We knew they played in a really tough conference. They ended up making the playoffs last year. Um, and I, I mean, I think, I think the top five to eight of division one are incredible, but I think division two is deeper. I think, yeah. I think your teams 10 through 20 in division two are stronger than, than D one, um, without getting into specifics, you could take a look at it. I I'm telling you, I think, yeah. I think. I think it's pretty strong. So, so them being the 15 seed in play, I mean, they're a real strong team. Pulled them off MIA. I'll be honest. I didn't, I thought it was a one-year deal. I was looking for another team week two this year. And the coach reached out. He's like, hey, <laughs> like I thought we were playing. I'm like, yes, absolutely. I'll play. Yeah. I just, I didn't think we had a game. Um, and the same thing kind of happened with Brookline. We went to Brookline last year. Um, just got them, just was putting feelers out there to somewhat local schools, right? Because you don't want to travel too far when you don't have to. Hingham's a hike, but they made the hike to us. So we'll go down. Um, and then, you know, we went to Brookline. It just happened to work out that they didn't have a week three this year. So they're, they're coming to us, but it's definitely more difficult getting football schedules. Cause everybody's looking for that leverage, right? Like everybody, everybody wants to play a team that they think they can beat, but that's also going to help them in that playoff push for the most part. So you have to, you have to do it early. You, you have to make deals for two years at a time. Um, and, and you have, you have to be smart about it too. If you're building your program, like I said, I wanted to listen. I said, I wanted to start GBL back up. I'm not calling Rob and saying, Hey, bring Everett. Like that, that's not where we're, we were at. You know what yeah. I mean? We're trying to get there, but I can't start there week one. Um, so, you know, you build, you build a schedule with teams that you think are going to give you good, tough, tough games and get you ready for your, for your league. Yeah. And I think that's so important, right? Because, you know, are you I, like, I, I guess I'll just straight out ask it. Are you a fan of this playoff system or do you find it more difficult to like monitor and track as far as, like you said, looking at those points, who they play, the type of points that team's going to have, or are you just kind of like, whatever, we're going to play whoever the points will add up. I mean, how methodical are you, I guess, mathematically with that? So, so I'm a fan of the system. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I, th I think that it needs to be tweaked for football. I, th I think Reading last year going eight and oh, beating really good teams, but then the, our league being a little bit down and then being the nine seed and having to go to Bishop Fian and then go to Catholic Memorial. I think that's wrong. Right. I think, I think a team that goes nine and zero in a respectable or eight and zero in a respectable league with a good off season schedule should definitely host a game like that at, at the very least, right. Should be that being said, I like the system as a whole. I think that, that it, for the most part, it, it it's a good idea. It needs tweaks for each sport for softball. I'll tell you right now, they nailed it. 
I mean, they nailed it. I, I looked at that thing up and down and I was like, yep, this, this is exactly right. For football, I remember seeing something in the paper where one of the writers who I think came up with the system, he's a good guy, but he's like, well, see it work. Like all these teams, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, the, the low seeds ended up losing to the high seeds. Like, okay. But Everett had to travel to Methuen. What if Methuen was traveling to Everett? Would, right. still, would that have been the same game? So it's football is just a different animal. And I think they have to give a little bit more um, credit to to the league schedule even when some leagues are down like yeah. it's not it's not Everett's fault they play the schedule they play it's not Redding's fault that none of us could give them a game last year except Woburn kind of like it's not their fault they're, they're they're beating they're playing the schedule in front of them yeah and I thought that was I mean you brought up just Redding a second ago I remember we were looking at coverage and you know I saw Redding's record I'm like oh Redding's gonna get a home game I reached out to the AD and he's like I would love to have you guys but we're actually going away to Bishop Fian, who who plays in the CCL. So, like, you look at their kind of schedules. I mean, Fenwick, St. Mary. I mean, there's some good teams in there, don't get me wrong, but it is a different breed of league. So I agree with you. And, you know, I know, like, even Jimmy Rabbit up at Kip. I mean, he's he's somewhat a prisoner of his own league. And I know this year his non-league schedule, he's playing some monsters. I mean, he opened up against St. Mary's. They're playing with Rochester. Uh, you know, so he's playing some tough teams because he realizes those points. I mean, you go 7-1 and one, you get a 28th seed. I mean, it's kind of crazy, you know? So like you said, like any system, I'm sure there's, you know, tweaks or things that need to to kind of be fixed and so on to move on. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier here, I mentioned Darian Sherry. I mentioned Caden Mills. I mean, these are guys that are juniors, tough players, good players. As far as social media goes for your program, do you feel like over the last few years, you're kind of up your social media now that you have some of these players that do have aspirations to play at the next level or to be recruited at those division two, II, division one levels, do you kind of really utilize your social media into really promoting your program and promoting those individuals to maybe even help grow your numbers. So I try, I'm not great at it. I'm not like a Facebook guy or, or at the only Twitter account I have is the football one. I tried to get the younger guys to help me out and kind of take it yeah, over. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm pretty good in season. Um, and as you coach, you grow a net, you grow like a little network of, 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 of college coaches and, and things like that. Um, in season, Pretty good. Off season, I I know I need to work on it. Uh, I took I took a little page out of your book. We have interns this year that I'm hoping, like student interns, which is something you you showed me, and I'm hoping um, they can kind of start taking some of that stuff over because kids know what kids want to see, and at the same time, I know what the what the college coaches want to see. So I'm reaching out to them in in different ways. Um, but the other thing is that you know that that dirty little secret of of you know if you want to get scholarships and things like that, there's all these combines and there there's all these off season things these kids got to go to. I mean that's you know they'll they'll watch tape and 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 they love seeing certain things on tape. Like when we play Reading, that's a big day. That's a big day for our kids because you know people are going to be watching. You know coaches are going to be watching. So that's a big day. But you got to follow that up by getting to all the all the clinics and all the combines that these coaches want to see you at so it's really like a three-headed monster you need you need to be visible on social media you need to play well in the games where you're going to get get a look you need to get those accolades off that season and then and then you got to get out there and you got to go to these 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 off-site combines and things like that where these coaches are looking at those numbers and they want to see if you make it to day two and and so on you know yeah, and I think it's so important. It's like the one thing that I've kind of learned even doing this podcast a little bit is, you know, we we started Beyond All Stars. We have high school kids and college kids, some kids that you and I both coach, like a Paul Hammond. So I'm Malachi. Uh, 
Yeah, Malachi, right? So, you know, and and what we're trying to really do is make that push for those athletes, right? Because there is so much happening in Massachusetts high school football now in the offseason that maybe didn't exist just even a few years ago. Um, and getting recruited to that next level and some kids that are playing at schools that, right, like you mentioned, you play Reading, like, there's college scouts there. There's people there. Like that's a game to get up for. But, you know, sometimes when you're like a 500 team or a team that doesn't necessarily get the headlines in the paper or get the headlines online, being able to showcase those kids as much as you possibly can. Social media is such a weapon. And, you know, that's what we try to do here. Like we love highlighting coaches and we love doing all that. But this year alone, we've been kids been sending us clips. We've thrown out our Instagram story and it blows up, you know, every kid, you know, and then you tag some college coaches or you tag some programs in it. And now before you know it, you're getting somebody else on a radar in a different way. So absolutely. And I think coaches look for that. Look, look how they can conduct themselves and what they do in their off seasons and so on and so forth. Um, just kind of funny, more of a funny question here. We had Danny Kelly on here last week from the show, but tech. Um, and I've seen this on Twitter. I don't know if it's affected your program or not, but you have a helmet shortage at all in your program. I know there was a big helmet shortage going on and people laugh about it, but it's like a real thing. I mean, people looking for helmets, painting helmets, calling other schools. I mean, did you guys see that at all at your program? You know what I don't have right now? Knee pads. <laughs> I don't have knee pads. It, we're cutting up. I shouldn't even say it right. In case of referees, I have to cut up old thigh pads and tail pads and we're sticking like we don't have knee pads. Helmets. We didn't get in until. Uh, we were a day away from not being able to have kids. So I, I put, I was able to put kids in old helmets that were kicked out like 2012s. You couldn't use anymore. I put kids in them for those three days. Cause there's no contact. We were running out of those because you, you know how football works, right? So you have like some kids aren't there in the beginning, then freshmen show up a little later. So I could keep handing those three days off and off and off. I made it to the last day and we had our helmets finally show up that we ordered in December. So not just the recondition, we ordered 20 new ones because 20 got kicked out and they didn't, nine of them didn't show up until September 1st, maybe. August. I mean, so that's like, yeah, what, a week and a half, two weeks into your like training camp. I mean, that's crazy. I got a, I got a buddy who uh, I played football with at Arlington, who he ended up playing at UMaine and he stayed up there and he, he's like, Hey, do you got any extra helmets? Can you send me one up? And I was like, absolutely. Uh, but not until I find out if I need to put a kid in that old 2010 helmet just to just to say hey you know get used to the helmet on your head for three days because right. we were in trouble and i uh i think i, I don't want to call programs up i think redding's looking for belts because you can't get belts in like we had some extra we, we told some people like so we're all sharing stuff right like i had an extra box of belts so i'm like yep give it to whoever needs it but like we need knee pads so my ad just today was at belmont digging through old stacks of those white giant knee pads that are like that big that we're going to cut up and try to fit into the new pants. It's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's crazy. I, you know, I was reading about it on Twitter and I saw, I think I saw Craig Turner from Wilmington, like was the first coach that kind of said it. And when he wrote it, the amount of replies there were and every like Danny V was ch like chipping in, like everybody was like talking about, it. I was like, wow, I can't. And now I'm hearing knee pads and belts. Like, and, and you know, as I know, like those are things that, don't seem like anything especially like knee pads and belts but like belts are everything especially if you got a kid who's wearing a size pants too big because you ran out of the sizes that you might need and not having a belt the kid's just constantly going like this and pulling up their pants and it's just yeah it's just so interesting like the little small things that you wouldn't think about in a program that you have a shortage of and it's an it's kind of a nightmare it's an absolute oh, nightmare and it becomes infuriating right because you're like i'm trying to get ready for week two and i'm worried about knee pads because i get kids who left knee pads in their game pants. So now they don't have them in their other. And I, I don't have enough. Like 
this this isn't something you should be thinking of, but it's it's not anybody's fault. I feel bad for the athletic directors. Like it's just there's a shortage of the most. It, it's everything. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't imagine. I'd be losing my mind. I know I would be if I, if I was still coaching. Um, yeah. so talk a little bit about and this is more of a funny side. So we're coming to your home opener. So Brookline is your home opener on the twenty third. I think it's a Friday. Um. What is uh, – and we're in search of the best concession stand at a high school football game in Massachusetts. Talk about your guys' concession stand. I mean, I know from playing Arlington, used to playing Arlington, they got a pretty nice concession stand there. Uh, what type of pizza? Where do you get your pizza from in Arlington? And and talk about maybe the hype of your concession stand because I think Arlington might be one of the better ones that we're going to actually be going to visit this year. So I'm, I'm sorry. I, th- I think COVID might have hurt the concession stand. Oh, no. Oh, no. So the, so the cheerleading squad has taken over the concession stand. They run it. I think the pizza they get might be from Brothers. Like, there's great pizza in Arlington. I could, I could talk about that all day. But uh, the concession stand really never recovered from COVID. So I don't know what it's going to look like this year. I wish I had more for you. Keep in mind last year, we couldn't even use wa- like Gatorade water jugs. So the kids were using like individual water bottles. So this is we're, this home opener. I mean, it could be the best concession stand ever. I, I just <laughs> I, I won't know it until we see it. I, I will say, I won't say the two teams were scouting, but you should, uh, well, I could say one of them because it was Hingham, but you should, uh, check out the Hingham concession stand because me and the coaches were scouting that game and the team they were playing, the guys on the headsets were all pounding pizza for the entire second half on the headsets while calling out like coverages and stuff, mouthful of pizza. So that had to be some had really- to be pretty good pizza. Then. It had to be. It had to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's our big search last year. You know, we kind of busted chops with Mefford a little bit when we covered their game. But MC's concession stand last year was unbelievable. And we went to the show last week and the candy. First of all, the prices the show were phenomenal. Everything was a dollar or two dollars. But they didn't have pizza. So, you know, definitely knock them down on their grade a little bit. But, um, you know, we're really excited. We're trying to find that that best concession stand. Where did you say Arlington gets their pizza from? I, it used to be my brother's place. I don't know if they still do it from there. Okay. This, this right. I mean, Arlington's the home of a thousand pizza places. Do you know who had a good one in the CCL I used to see? Because the bathrooms were right connected to it. And I, I never, I would never, Anthony, I would never <laughs> while coaching for you with food. And food. <laughs> um, Archbishop Williams. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to yeah. say it. Yep. It, it, it is it is it's such a funny thing you know because last year we did that stuff a little bit and then people like we would get all sorts of messages like go check out this concession stand oh this is the best concession stand in high school and we kind of like you know next season we're gonna really kind of go all in on this a little bit and what we cover and where we go we're gonna try to find the best so i i have high hopes for arlington i i like that setup right by the gate as soon as you walk in it's right there the bathroom's off to the side so you know we're pretty excited we actually have um uh this guy his name's matt um DeAndre, he's, he's um, a food blogger on Instagram. He's pretty big. He's got like 13,000, 14,000 followers. But he's an Arlington guy, played hockey in Arlington, I think went to BBNN. But we reached out to him, like, you got to come to the game with us. When we go there, you're going to be our, you know, a halftime person getting a pizza and rating the pizza. So, you know, we're pretty excited to to have that segment. And I, I think Arlington is, is going to do very, very well in it. Um, and, you know, I want to thank you for coming on here, Matt. I know this is your second time around and um, being on here. And I, I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were going to build a lot lot of success there i knew that you were going to take that program and bring it to that next level you have some caliber players you had a young program that you inherited and you've done a great job you've built a great staff there i know some of those guys personally and deja and cam uh you know great guys great guys to have around the kids so you know i'm really excited for you guys i, I you know i texted you as soon as i saw that you won and congratulated you because you know i knew this year was a big year that third year that turnaround year of kind of seeing what you've built the last few years and i'm proud of you man i really am and i'm excited that uh we're going to be 
covering you this year and getting that all access sideline, you know, and, and seeing how well you conduct yourself on the sideline and, and so on and so forth. No, I really appreciate it. And, and um, you know, I said it last time I was on, but thank you for doing this. Thank you for bringing attention to, to the coaches. Yeah. But the, also the kids, um, and, and, you know, and it goes back to what you asked about, like, you know, with my social media, it's dude, I, I try to use, I try to use the resource I have, which is, I mean, I brought you in for softball to do this. Cause I think this is awesome. I love your network and how many people you get out to. And I also obviously love just hanging out and talking football and, and any sport, but then having you back uh, to cover our game this week and, and, and to pump up our kids. I think, I think what you're doing for the, for the kids and the teams in this, in this state is it's, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it, and it was, it was such a needed thing. So thank you for doing what you do. I really yeah. Do. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um, so we're going to jump into our last part here, the two minute drill. You know how this works. Rapid fire questions. I'm going to throw at you. I watched our last two minute drill. So I'm making sure I'm mixing it up here and not throwing any of the similar questions at you. So let me set the timer and here we go. What's your best play in your playbook right now? If you had to run a play, what's your best play? Uh, it's it, yeah, I'm supposed to say this. Right? I actually, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe we'll scratch that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll throw it out there. So I, taking the running game aside, we, we have a pretty strong little flood game. We, we really do. And, we, uh, and it's based off of, of motion and things like that. So we can play with it a couple of different ways. But yeah, yeah. We, have, we have a nice little flood game going. Okay, I love it. Love it. Um, word to describe your coaching style on the sidelines during a game. Um, a word, I'm attempted at, at being reserved, but it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Uh, most animated coach on your staff. Oh, Deja. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you kind of answered this before, but you know, you're playing, you're, you're a fan of the playoff system. Um, what's the biggest tweak you maybe hope to see in the playoff system going down, going down the road? I would like him to take a, a better look at strength of schedule, um, and, and especially within the divisions. I, th I think I think divisions make a big difference, especially when you start getting down to lower divisions. Okay. Um, obviously, besides maybe the home opener or maybe the home opener is it? What's the biggest game circled on your schedule this year? A game that you're really looking forward to, matchup that 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 you see that you're really looking forward to. I, I think for the kids, I mean, I'm really, I, you know, we're not at a point where we can look past anybody and we're absolutely not. But for the kids, there's, there's excitement around playing against a kid in Murphy and Redding that everybody knows you're, you're this is going to be seen by college coaches at all three levels. You know what I mean? So for the kids, I'm excited for that. Um, for myself, I'm always excited to play Woburn because of the style they play. And defensively, it's like, I just, it, it's, it's that true angry wing. And I just love trying to stop it. Didn't go great last year. We'll take another crack at it this year. All right. Love it. Uh, coach in your, over the last few years, coach in your league that you love facing a coach that, and maybe you kind of already answered that just a second ago, but a coach that you really love to go head to head against in your league for well-respected reasons. Um, I don't love going against him, but I, I couldn't respect him more. He's beaten us both times. We were his only win last year. Wally Dombowski over in, in Winchester. He just, uh, He's outcoached me both times we played him. Um, I think he's a phenomenal coach. I think he he does everything he can for that program. Um, I, he he impresses me. He really does. Okay. Uh, and my last question for you: Fourth and goal. Would you rather win a game scoring on offense in fourth and goal, or would you rather win a game on fourth and goal stopping a team on defense? Oh, yeah, defense. I'm I love defense. Yeah. If you could. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can make that stop. I will. God, that that would be the, the absolute best. All right. Awesome. Well, listen, you survived the two minute drill. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on. I know obviously you got a big game against Hingham next week, but we're really excited to be coming out the week after that. Uh, your home opener. I'm sure it's going to be a great crowd, hopefully an awesome concession stand, but you know, I'm excited to see you guys in action. I mean, I got to coach with you guys. We coached together. Um, and so I know what you guys are made of and to see you kind of take that next step in your coaching career and to see how you're taking over a program and doing so well. It's just, it's really fun to see. And I'm excited. I appreciate that. And uh, at you, as you'll see, I've stolen a lot from you. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, thanks for coming on. And from Beyond Podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, Matt O'Loughlin, Arlington Football. Till next time.